G'day guys, it's The Coach and welcome to a pretty special episode from for myself. It's something that we haven't really touched on just yet, but something that is probably near and dear to my heart, something that I have personally focused on for the last probably 12 to 18 months. It's something that I've kind of really focused on and I found that's probably become some of the most enjoyable moments in my hobby right now. And that is kit bashing and conversion. And the series of Sigma for me, a book that um, I I really love, has probably drawn this out from myself more than ever. And I'm noticing in the community, it's this particular book has really exploded the, the opportunity when it comes to kit bashing and converting. Not to say that it's exclusive to only this particular book, but I'm seeing it really come to life. And I know in myself that is certainly true. But in the house here, I have two absolute legends when it comes to kit bashing, converting. When I show you some of their pictures, you will be you know, your mind will blow. You might have to like take a moment, pause the video, pick up your mind, put it back into your head because it is absolutely incredible what these boys, these gentlemen are doing. Uh, first off, we have JP Miniatures. He's in the center. Jonathan, g'day, uh, an absolute legend. Um, do you want to give me an introduction? Because I'll just I'll just keep waffling and being a fanboy <laughs> because you guys both just blow my mind. Yeah. No, thank you very much. No, I'm um, so I'm John. I've, I'm mostly famous for tweaking and converting things, sticking them back together in unorthodox ways. Um, mostly, I've I've done beastmen in the past, but I'm starting to branch out into some um, some other things. In fact, I've started um, like you were saying before. The the Cities of Sigma book has been really. Uh, fascinating and i've actually started a living city army off the back off some of your previous videos in fact <laughs> thank you <laughs> but it, it, it's it's i don't know what it is about particular the cities of sigma book um but it just seems like kit bashing and converting has become accepted i think mm. in the past when i because I've been, I've been here since day one and people have done little bits of hobby and they've certainly kit bashed like this is not a new concept but it seems like from a tournament perspective, it seems like from a, a gaming perspective, the the opportunity to create as well as the acceptance to, you know, to have Phoenix Guard that aren't Phoenix Guard, to, to do something like a griffin that isn't a griffin. In the past, that would kind of be like, you kind of like, oh, like, look, we're getting into the topic here, but it's great to have you and... Um, I'm excited to, and, and some of your city stuff is awesome too. I absolutely love, and I'll get to show some of that off. But JP, uh, good to have you here. Uh, also here is of Warhammer Television fame. He's not going to like that, but I don't care. It's great. Ricky, uh, the gentleman is from the Midnight City. And um, if you haven't seen his work, it's just incredible too. Um, it's so great that he's got his own battle tome. Um it's awesome. It's it's very very cool. Um, I've been absolutely inspired by by Ricky's work as well. So Ricky, uh, anything you want to say to the fine folks of the internet? Uh, thank you. Um, I'm Ricky. Uh, I tend to take projects a little bit too far. Um, I'm living what the teenage me wished they could do back then. So the big weird things. And when you're a teenager, and you think I really want to do something, but I can't. I was like. I've hit a point where I'm, I'm living that teenage dream now. I remember my first conversion and 
because when when we all started, or at least you know when I started, it was it was metal miniatures. So kit bashing and converting was a hard, hard, hard thing. I remember shaving off the mustache off my 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 general, and I think I'd um, kit bashed a weapon, and I thought that was pretty grand at the time. But because uh, shaving down metal was an absolute pain in the butt. Um, I certainly didn't have the tools as like a 13 or 14 year old kid. I think I'd stolen a scalpel from the science room because I didn't know where to get a scalpel from. And I'm, I don't think I, I don't think I ever replaced the blade in four years. Again, I'm a, I'm a child. I have no idea. But um, it's crazy how the world has kind of changed. And you're right. We are living kind of in a golden age when it comes to 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 hobby. Oh, all right. Well, let's let's probably kick off the discussion if you guys uh, are down. I mean, it's only six o'clock in the morning for me, so uh, <laughs> we uh, I could chin wag forever. So let's let's start. Let's let's start maybe high level here. So, why should somebody kit bash and or convert? And I'm using this very generically. It's basically what I'm talking about here, folks. Is why would you consider building your models uh, not not standard? So when I, when I go to Games Workshop and I buy a box of whatever, I could build them just as they are in the box. Why should I not do that? And why should I do something different, whether it's convert, whether that is getting parts from other, other kits, whether it is getting third-party sources, uh, whether it is using tools like green stuff to, or even modify a particular body. Um, an example of this is um, I'm, I'm building Gargans right now and I'm suspecting that I might need 9 to 12 Gargans. They might be my battle line Gargans. The Gargans are monopose. They are one big fat dude walking forward. Having 9 to 12 big fat dudes walking forward looks boring. So high level, why should I kit bash, convert, modify the models that are standard from the box? Ricky, start me off. <sighs> It's hard. So GW release a model and it's a great indicator of one way that thing can be. Uh, that's what a giant looks like. It gives us the rough outline of what a giant looks like. But as you're saying, when you've got 12 of them, that's not what all the giants look like. It's not necessarily what your giants look like or the way you imagined them when you first read it before you even saw the model. So it's using what's there to create what you envisioned, what's unique to you, and what ultimately is going to be recognisable as your army rather than just an army of Gargans. Or yeah, I agree. Oh, agreed. Like right now, I'm reading, um, I'm reading the Soulbound book, and um, while I don't have a battle tome yet for the Gargans, I, I've, I've really narrowed this down to. I, I want my Gargans to come from Akshi, so that, that ties in well with Soulbound. I want it to tie into my Free Cities book. So my Free Cities, I've I've um, I've put my little city in a little island called the uh, the Opal Isles in between Hallow Heart and Tempest Eye, which is near this big fire kind of like a big fire. And I started going further into the lore of, of, of fire dragon, not fire dragons, fire Gargans or fire giants from Dungeons and Dragons. So I've got these ideas, and I'm looking at this Gargan, and I'm going. This doesn't look like a fire gargan. And I'm like, do I just paint it red? Do I, is it black? Cause it's like charcoal. Like, do I just buy some flamers or like, like, like you're right. Like, how do I make this idea come to the table? JP, what are your thoughts? Like, why should, why should somebody consider kit bashing and converting? 
for me that's the the main point of this hobby really for me i when i started out i was mostly a, a painter and converter and it took me a few years to get into the gaming side of things but when i started out the thing that really appealed to me was you could take something you can change it you can paint it however you want and when people talk to me about the hobby in general they say oh yeah but it's compared to video games, for example, it's so much more expensive. And you say, yes, but you can change it. You can do whatever you want with it. You can make it yours. And it's, in my opinion, a lot more soothing, a lot more relaxing. And you can find, like Nick Ricky was saying, you can find your niche, your own particular version of a Space Marine, your own particular version of a Beastman. And it's, I think that customization that really, for me, is the reason I'm in the hobby at all. Yeah, I, I, I always I, I always enjoy the maybe I'm special. Maybe I like, you know, going to a tournament and my army looks different than every other army. And you can obviously show that showcase that with your painting skills. I don't think I'm the best painter in the world. I don't think I'm the worst painter in the world. I think I'm probably I, I like to think that I'm above average. Um and that's mostly because I'm I'm just I wouldn't say I'm lazy. I just like get this to this law of diminishing returns where I'm like, I could put this fourth, fourth highlight on a model, but I'd rather work on something else. Yeah. Um, but for me, like converting and kit bashing, and um, I remember how much joy I got from doing a couple of Stormcast heroes, but using the third party head swaps from Forge World, the male and the females. And I'm just like, yes, my Knight of Xeros looks mostly like everyone else's Knight of Xeros, but it's got a different head. And that makes it my Knight of Xeros compared to everyone else's. And I think that makes me feel good and it makes me stand out just a little bit. Um, and it doesn't have to be anything particularly complicated. Sometimes a head swap is enough and it makes a massive difference. I mean, sometimes you see armies and that's all they've done. It's just a head swap, but it completely changes the feel of a, of a whole army. Just, just something small like that. It's that little personal touch, that accent that's yours. Because you might love the entire base model, but it's that little touch that's you that's gone on top of it. Do you, th I mean, I mean, do you think somebody, I mean, we're talking about the generic person here. Um, do you think that everyone should kitbash everything? Do you think you should kitbash a hero? Like, what's the scale here that you would consider... Um, at what level, I guess, do you do you kit bash and convert? It depends on how much what's there meets your vision. So I'm a terrible example. Everything in my city's army is converted somehow because I had a vision that didn't match the current model range. But if your vision is largely a Germanic city with your Zavire handers, with your handguns, and you like the poofy shirts, if that's your vision, there's nothing wrong with the fact that your vision matches what's currently available because you're in a perfect position. Your dream is already there to play out you might just want to do a different heads your general is slightly older slightly more battle scarred just that touch that makes it more your vision than it already was yeah yeah i i, I agree jp and sometimes it's not even that sometimes it, it could just be one small thing you look at the the stock model and you think that's that that's almost perfect there's something about that i don't quite like a, a good example of this would be um the the corvus cabal war cry war bands the the, um, the guy with the big outstretched wings, um, he has these strange sort of stilts. And um, I looked at it and I was like, this Warcraft, this is incredible. All of these figures are perfect. 
except those stilts. I'm not a big fan of the stilts. So he's my Marilyn Manson. Like he just reminds. Me, if anyone likes Marilyn Manson, they would recognize. Uh, there was a time during Antichrist Superstar, the album. He would like have, have stilts, and I'm like, this is the Marilyn Manson model. <laughs> but but you were just like, oh, I don't want that. Sorry, me, continue. Oh no, it's okay. But for me, because I tend to go super realistic with a lot of the conversions. For me, I was thinking, oh, he's going to fall over, isn't he? He's going to look like a rope mug. He's going to he's going to turn up and he's going to fall and flat on his face. So exactly. the first thing I did, <laughs> exactly. So the first thing I did was I um, chopped off his legs and gave him some Zangor legs. But that was it. That was all I did with it. And it made a massive difference for me because it helped with my sense of immersion and, and helps with your um, internal narrative that you're playing with the game, I think. Yeah, and, and you know, while I like my Marilyn Manson stilt-wearing um, <laughs> crow men, um, at the same time, like you're right, like I was talking to the gentleman on um, just before we went live, and I was mentioning that I don't like the steampunk aspect. Sorry, not sorry. It's just for, not for me. It's not for me. Um, and I remember when I was looking at my Tempest Eye, and I'm like, I really like this idea of Tempest Eye. I'd love to bring Carriage and Overlords into my army, but I don't want the steampunk. It, it's the steampunk look. It doesn't fit my army. And I've gone really hard on trying to recreate that Germanic puffy shirt, empire-y kind of feel. And I'm like, how do I create that with KO? And I'm like, halflings. And I looked at Blood Bowl and I'm like, I'm going to use Blood Bowl halflings, but with character and Overlord flying bits. And um, should should the ad mech stuff have come out earlier, I probably would have tapped into some of the great work that Leonardo from, from um, again, any Empire fan would remember Leonardo, the great inventor. He created, he got the Birdman wings. So um, I would have found that in my space, but... You're right. It's like you've got an idea and bringing it to life. And I think there is this 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 whole white space. It's it's very much like a sandbox where do as much as you want to. I think that's kind of the message that I want to bring out here is that there is no right way to do this. It could just be a head swap. So my Phoenix Guard, for example, I head swap them to make them human heads. I shaved off the um, the the gem that's on their little belly, and I did a little bit of work there to make them a little bit more human. But then you can go to the absolute extremes, and I'll bring I'll bring up some of the examples from JP and Ricky, and you can just see the the sheer amount of work. And they haven't just swapped ahead; they've gone out and gotten two, three, four kits. They've used green stuff to model their own parts. Um, you see people with gargans where they kind of cut off their arms, and you know they reposition them in ways they shouldn't be positioned, but then allows them with green stuff and putty and fill. They're able to then basically recreate the arm and and have it in a way that it shouldn't be or you wouldn't be able to do without the without the resource but it's like you have an idea bring it to life how you want to bring it to life and i think for me that's where i'm going to ask you guys next about where do you get your inspiration from and then i'll kind of show off some of your photos i think that's like i'm starting a new project i've got an idea um how do you guys find your inspiration and your ideas for your works um i might start with with jp first like where do you where do you start like if, if i was starting a new army well for me i think you get you can there's a whole different range of places you can go artwork is always fantastic but then you don't have to stick to just the official artwork 
I find you can go on places like Pinterest and you can go off uh, down a rabbit hole and you can find all sorts of weird and wonderful um, fantasy art that people have done. And just something like that will give you a small idea. And maybe it's just one picture, but then you run with it and you go with the theme and it can turn into a whole army. I think um, also things like films sometimes can be, uh, you, maybe you're not, you're not thinking about modeling. It's quite, um, sometimes it's quite unusual in my case, I'm not thinking about it. And converting things but um, it, a good example of this would be I was watching The Lion King of all things The Lion King and um, there's a scene where Rafiki's holding up baby Simba and I was thinking oh yeah that would be a really good pose for a, um, a, a shaman a, a bray shaman holding up the severed head of an ungore that he's just chopped off and sometimes it can come from the strangest little places just little things like that it's <laughs> Exactly. Corrupting. I'm, 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 I'm too excited, like singing the song. Like, ah, oh, I know. I'm, like, I'm, I'm doing the circle of life song. But you're, you're looking at models, going, mate, I want to convert. I, I love that. That's, I love that. It's, it's this, this. So, so movies is certainly one place that you're getting inspiration from. Hmm. Ricky, what about yourself? Where, where do you find inspiration to, to hack up a model and do something special with it? Uh, I'm. At heart, I'm a child. Uh, if I can't find ideas, I start to sulk. Um, so my other half drags me around the Warhammer World Exhibition. We'll keep doing loops and loops and loops. And I'm looking for one model that will spark something in my head. And usually I'll find a model and it, I'll have an idea that's absolutely nothing to do with what it's actually there for. But like I like that rough torso shape and I can probably do something with the left leg there and the sword. Uh, and once I've made a model, I can then start to build lore around it, and that lore will then lead to the next model, which leads to the next, and you have to work the entire ecosystem around the model, and then it grows into a faction or a concept or a unit, which, yeah, I I like bits, and then bits lead to stories. I think that, I think for me, that's that's where I, I draw the most inspiration from. You know, I love I love movies, I love music, I love you know art. You know, and and sometimes a simple Google image search can just spark so much inspiration. Where I want to look at again, gargans, for example. Gargans are fresh to my mind because that's the army that I'm I'm currently building. But it's also the, the army that I'm currently thinking about. How do I make this my own? How do I make gargans gargans without a battle tome? But but also, how do I make it my own? And for me, the process has certainly been um, with Gargans. I've I've searched other places where giants exist, whether it's folklore and you know the hill giants and you know uh, raiding the villages, fee fi fo fum. It could be Dungeons and Dragons, and there is so much um, inspiration from. They've got you know frost giants, fire giants. You've got the hill giants. You've got stone giants. So it's like all of a sudden, my world is like wow, I could make a stone giant. What does a stone giant look like compared to a hill giant versus a frost giant? Then it's almost like, how do I then make my my regular, my gargant look like a frost gargant? Or how do I make it a fire gargant? And then it's almost like looking at this particular piece of, of model and going, how do I how do I turn this into an idea? And I think the beautiful thing is there is no one way to do it. Obviously your own ideas will lead you to certain parts or certain materials or so i mean i did gargants when aos first came out you could do anything and everything was out of them in the air and i made a gargant charm i was like well he needs something that denotes his status like bird's nest around the head yeah you know, it, it was he had a crown it was literally a bird's nest he'd ripped out of a tree but it was roughly crown shaped yeah you know, it was 
I was there and it's the little things that you'll get a weird idea and it will be a little personality piece that adds to it and you'll start sourcing bits around that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like there are just so many cool things you could possibly do. Um, I think, you know, you know, where I, I guess the point here I'm trying to make is that, you know, there are, there are, there are lots of ways to find your inspiration, whether it's the stories and the mortal realms, whether it's a, a concept that you found outside of Warhammer. I think that's a big one. Um, you know, like I've looked at my Sylvaneth, for example, and I'm like, let's say my, my Sylvaneth came from the realm of whatever. Let's say metal. Let's say it was Shimon. Um, how do I make my Sylvaneth metal? Um, and that could simply be spray painted silver and gold. But then I could take that concept even further and say, well, what would also make it metal? What would my, what would my wildwoods look like? Is there other metally type things that I could kind of draw from? Or if it did look from the realm of metal versus the realm of life, you know, is there other things that I could possibly do? And I think when I look at a project differently, that's where I can kind of draw the inspiration. And it's a struggle. I don't know what it's like for you guys, but, you know, I've probably spent hours upon hours upon hours looking at this this one bloody gargant going, how do I turn you into my idea? And, I, and, and it's taken a long time to get to where I'm at. Yes, it sounds easy now that I'm going to go from, you know, a fire gargant or, you know, from, from the realm of Akshi. But, like, I looked at this gargant for a long time and I'm like, I want to do something with you, but I don't know how to do it. I just, I just don't know how yet. Starting is usually the hardest part for me. Um, eventually, so on your third, fourth gargant, you're going to know roughly where to clip, where the leg goes. You know, you'll, you're going to have that confidence in the kit that builds up over every single time you do it. But that first model is the terrifying, like that first cut where you're like, I'm cutting off at the knee. If this goes wrong, he's gaining a peg leg or nothing because I can't repose the leg at this stage. And it is, it's, the starting point is terrifying where infinite potential for greatness or just a gargon that's missing his lower leg and you'll gain confidence you'll gain the joy of it but starting can be terrifying i'm definitely a coward when it comes to that first cut i um i sit here for hours with blue tack i think blue tack is probably the thing that i use the yeah. most when you're planning a new project because you sit here with a bits box you're like this torso hmm, i won't commit quite yet i won't quite cut off the belt i'll think about it i'll try another torso and you keep going with blue tech and sometimes you can have things sat on the desk for for weeks if not months in various stages of assembly but purely with blue tech nothing's being cut nothing lines up properly the torso is all weird and wonky but you're you're sort of trying to build up the idea slowly and it's cool because it's almost like Lego, right? Where you, you know, with, with blue tack, you can add, and then you like, you look at it, you take some photos, you're like, oh, it's not really looking like the way I wanted it to. And so I get a different part or you then start looking at Games Workshop website to go, right, well, you know, how do I bring this particular part to life? Um, I'm doing it right now with, um, so I want to build some Scourge Runner chariots. But again, I'm a human and I want human version of it. And um, what I've done is I've gone out and got the old high off white line chariots. Uh, and the reason I've done that is because um, as I read the Soulbound RPG, uh, I remember reading the stories about the Flamescar Peninsula, where they're these, these warrior women of the Edetsa, and um, they hunt down lions. Now, funnily enough, when I look at the map, my city is not far from the Flamescar Peninsula. So I'm like, instead of having a Scourge Runner chariot with horses or, or, or Drac, you know, the, the little, little dragon kind of cav, 
why did I use lines? So all of a sudden, this idea, this one little story from Soulbound, not even about my city, uh, that that sparked an idea, and now I'm down this path of chasing down a 10-year-old model that doesn't exist. I've only three of them. Um, I've just sourced my third one. It was easier than I thought. But it was that one little story from Soulbound that took me down a path, and now I'm, I'm super proud of it, and I've got these, these, these lions that I probably would have never gotten to if I wasn't thinking about it, exploring a different idea. I think that's a good point though, because finding those, finding the bits can sometimes be the most challenging thing. Maybe you're, you're looking through something, oh, that head would be fantastic for these 20 people. And you think, wait, you get one of this kit, one of this head in the kit. And then I think that's why um, bit sites, things like that have started to make this sort of thing possible. Because previously, before there were, I mean, there were bit sites, but I think they've started to become more competitive. And I think now it's possible to find the number of these particular heads that you're after or the number of this particular weapon. Whereas I think, and I think that's helps to, to, to make it a lot more common to see such customization. Oh, when I, when I was a kid, I could never go, I, I, I didn't have access to mail order either. I know when I look at the old White Dwarves game, you know, you guys had access to um, ordering particular bits and you could buy parts. As a kid, I lived in rural New South Wales, so I had a population of 10,000 people. I was about nine hours from a capital city. I had no access to a games workshop or even the mail order service. All of a sudden, you're right, between eBay and third party, and we'll talk about that very soon, but the world you've got now got a whole bunch of access to a whole bunch of stuff too. So, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about some sites and we'll talk about, I can see the chats now being like frothing in the mouth, like, where do I get these parts? Like, where do I get more chaos halberds and how do I get this? And like, what do I do? And we'll talk about that. But um, before we do, I, I, I just want to create some validity and, and show off why these two people here uh, are absolutely the masters in their field. So I'm going to bring up um, a couple of images from each of the gentlemen. Um, if you'd like to learn more, um, I will put their Twitter handles in the, the description of this episode, and you can go look at their work in, in um, however you want to look at it. But uh, JP and Ricky, I'm going to show off a couple of your models. Maybe this would be an opportunity. Um, so first off, I'm showing off JP's. JP, what am I looking at? Talk me through a little bit about the models, the process. Just yeah, give me give me your intro. Yeah, so um, these are a couple of models I thought would be quite nice to look at today because um, they 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 show a couple of things that maybe people don't think about. So on, on the left, um, there's a gorgon. So this is a gorgon from my um, from my beastmen army. Beasts of chaos army. I need to stop calling them beastmen. I'm stuck in stuck in the old one. <laughs> um, but what we have is the um, is the Mongol body from Forgeworld um, with a head swap. And at that point you think, okay, yeah, phew, okay, if I had the money to buy things from Forgeworld to chop in half, fine, that's a different world. But the point here is that the legs are actually from a toy giraffe and the stomach is made from a ping pong ball. So <laughs> the point here is, Exactly. So the thing is, it doesn't always have to be these these expensive parts. And you think, oh, this this kit's good, but which other Games Workshop kit could I use for the bottom half? You don't have to limit yourself like that necessarily. I was looking at this, and I said, okay, yeah, this will be a really cool torso for a big old terrifying um, beastman, but there's nothing that's going to proportionally have the right size legs. And I mean, you could say, yeah, I'm sure there's a kit somewhere that would that would fit. But I was in a toy shop and there's this this toy uh, toy giraffe and you think, well, why am I 
why? I could just use these, no problem. Um, add some green stuff and uh, a few little accessories and it's no problem. At that stage, I was thinking, oh, we need to pick old belly as well with some, uh, some people screaming for help from the inside. And I was like, oh, I haven't got any big belly parts. What can I do here? And there's a ping pong ball in the corner of my room. And I was like, oh, look, cut that in half, stick that on, green stuff around the edges and jobs are good. Um, so that's kind of the point really, is you don't have to, to limit yourself to, to the kits that Games Workshop provides. You don't have to even limit yourself to miniatures of any, any variety. Almost anything can be used in, in conversions like this. Um, and that kind of leads quite nicely onto the, the, the picture on the right which is um, a spike revenant that I've, I've been um, working on recently. And this is just covered in, in natural gunk. It's got real moss for the hair, um, some bits of tea leaves for around the groin area. It's, uh, it's a real mishmash. This is, this is sort of blurring the line between um, gardening and miniature making, I think. I love it, that's crazy. The, the moss though like what, what how how will that work with painting though like surely that would not take paint well yeah so there's a couple of things so in this particular case this is before i primed it so i primed it and it takes paint it's fine it's, it works really well you can paint over it and for this i was going for quite a natural realistic look anyway you're not going to be able to do your traditional three layers of highlights but it doesn't really matter for the overall effect for, for tabletop it's quite nice um, sometimes though, you can sort of use these natural products um, if you're a bit savvy about it. So this same moss that I'm using as the hair here, um, I actually use it on lots of my bases as well. But if you use moss, you think, oh, it's gonna go brown after about two weeks, isn't it? Um, so it sounds slightly obscure, but what I do is I boil it up with glycerin and a little bit of green food dye and it, and it stays. Um, more or less intact. I've had some of the, for example, the Gorgon on the left is using some of it on the base. And that's been that color for what, five years now? Something like that. Wow, wow. So like, like I'm, 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 I'm partially speechless, but um, it just kind of shows you that your world is not restricted just to what Games Workshop produce in the warehouse. Like, as you've mentioned already, you've sourced models from the toy parts you've used things naturally from your garden you've used things from your kitchen like tea leaves you have used a ping pong ball so um so i, I guess you know like if i'm thinking about what what i'm trying what i i hope you're you're walking away with folks is is to have an open mind and don't just be super focused in, in games workshop because you will likely miss opportunities to bring something to the table and again bring something that's truly truly unique mm. Mm. Uh, what, what am i looking at now <laughs> so this is almost the the opposite end of the spectrum really um i think i think um for me the, the biggest compliment that you can get if you're um going to an event or going somewhere uh, and someone says to you oh um where can i buy that what 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 company sells that and you say oh no no that's uh that's a conversion it's all games workshop but it's a conversion i think that's the highest compliment as a, as a kit basher in my opinion if something doesn't look like a conversion i think that's the that's the sign that it's a, a it's a real success for example when i when i look at those two bottles jp i think that i could buy them from games workshop there is nothing there that looks like like they're out of place like that and, looks 
and this is yeah. exactly the point because you don't need green stuff. People say, "Oh no, I, I don't want to. I don't want to start converting because then I have to get into green stuff, and it's a nightmare." And I, oh no, I, I can't. I can't do that. But the one on the left, there's no green stuff. That that was I wanted to show that one because it it looks good, but it was just a case of being very careful with where you're cutting, planning very carefully where you're going to make the transition. So it's the majority of a normal sister of the watch, but with the legs from a Wood Elf from a Blood Bowl team and the same and the head from a Wood Elf um, from the Blood Bowl team. But it looks like it's meant to be like that, and but with no green stuff. That's the point. So what I'm hearing as well is, um, so I, I mentioned, uh, I've mentioned in a couple of episodes and I mentioned to the guys um, before we went live is, um, my halfling, my blood, sorry, my carriage and overlords, um, I've drawn inspiration from um, the halflings as opposed to dwarves. So I've been going to my blood bowl kit and I've been using that and, I, and, I, and I've been converting and, and, and messing with those kits. But it's interesting because I'm seeing a lot of people using blood bowl. Again, mm -hmm. something you wouldn't think about because you might only be focusing on the Age of Sigma catalog. But I've seen some really cool uses of the, of the, um, the wood elf kit even like there was one particular person i remember seeing holding up this um the this model essentially like it's going to throw it but because the um the wood elf kit is contorted and you know it's got so much movement it just looks amazing mm -hmm. um let alone looking at 40k and, and and that kind of leads quite nicely to here because uh, i recognize certainly some of those parts <laughs> yeah so again this is a, well we've got tyranid parts we've got the tyranid torso and arms um, we've got the daughters of Cain. Uh, what they called the snake, the snake ladies there, uh, but the little yeah. Mm. For the bot, for the for the bottom of the torso, and then a, a blood letter head. So is that this, a blood? Is that a blood letter head? I've I've been trying to work out what that is. It's a this reminds me of something from like um, uh, Stranger Things. Like that 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 is reminding me of Stranger Things. It's probably not a coincidence. I think I made this maybe three weeks after I finished watching Stranger Things. So. <laughs> It probably is subconsciously that probably did go in at some point <laughs> but yeah it's a blood letter head without the the face makes a massive difference it's um got a kind of alien-esque vibe to it i think that is that's freaking me out that is uh <laughs> i i never what did you just green stuff the eyes yeah. did you shave them off so no so this was i smoothed because um the, the, the face is actually a separate part and there's a small ridge where it normally connects but if you take a scalpel you could probably do it without any green stuff you could probably just smooth it down maybe with a file i did put a tiny bit of green stuff over on this one but you, you don't need to again the... that's crazy this is freaking me out that <laughs> is alien and scary and I love it. And, and we'll talk more about how you got to that point, but I just wanted to show off some of your amazing talents and kind of show why you guys are just amazing. Um, then this is where we pass the baton over to Ricky. So Ricky, um, talk me through your craziness. And again, um, on, on both of their Twitters, you can find more of their art. I would highly recommend you follow, you like, and you go check out all the imagery they've put up. But Ricky, take us, take us through some of the photos that, um, you've shared so it should say unofficial on the picture on the left hand side <laughs> in big writing i'll i'll just say it now Completely so this battle tome was what stopped uh lumineth basically is what you're telling us is that this official release uh stopped the lumineth uh, from no one cares about it's fine um it's an unofficial fan made in no way gw sponsored battle tome i've got the disclaimer out there now i've covered myself um apart from a logo which is done in sheer reverence to the company now that one um 
the model on the right is my Midnight Queen. I had a story kind of in my head when we found out about the Storm Vaults that obviously Sigmar put things in there, things he didn't necessarily agree with, things he didn't want around. What if one of the prisoners kind of broke out somehow, but tried to refix the original Lightman engines? You know, it was originally his thing that gave great knowledge and she's a bit feeble, a bit broken at the moment. So she built her own reclamation engine, which makes her insanely intelligent and does nothing for anyone around her. So to represent that, I had to take apart the penumbral engine and literally rebuild it myself as she would have rebuilt her own reclamation engine and wedge her in the middle of it which is Saint Celestine with the head from the name Sister of Silence, who I will never remember her name. <laughs> I want to say Kroll, but I can't be certain on that one. And then lots of bodyguards around her. I love it. I love it. And it's interesting. You've got the Penumbral engine. Um, when I look at this, it doesn't scream Sisters of Battle. Um, and, and it's great that you're able to draw parts from 40K and make it your own whether it's through color scheme whether it's through drawing other parts um this doesn't look it doesn't not look age of sigma but it also doesn't look like it's a 40k and i think that's one of the the, the fine lines when you're drawing inspiration from uh, another model range you could just look too 40k or it could look like it doesn't fit in the world but i think you found that balance really nicely it's somewhere between the gothic low-tech sci-fi of 40k and the sort of weirdness of AOS where you can bridge them in that little line in the middle, which I mean, Darren, the penumbral engine arguably looks the most sci-fi thing there, despite being pretty much the only AOS component involved in the conversion. And for me, like, you know, like when people start talking about, and I remember seeing, you know, the, some, some of the outcry about Vince Venturella's um, Tempest Eye models. And it's interesting because um, I disagree completely with the comments here. And, and um, if you, is there technology in Age of Sigma? Absolutely. When I think about Warhammer Fantasy Battles, uh, in, in, in the Empire, for example, there was a city of Null, and the city of Null was the technology city. And they were doing some crazy stuff back in the Warhammer Fantasy Battle days. It's hard to imagine that the evolution and the, the, the sheer amount of years that have passed since Warhammer Fantasy Battles to today couldn't lead to something like this in the mortal realms somewhere. Like this there has to be somewhere in the mortal realms that something that is high fantasy, high tech lives. And that's why we have Carriage and Overlords and we accept it. And this is why I, I can absolutely see this. And I think you've done a great job uh, when it comes to pulling 40k parts into Sigma. Cheers. That's, I like the kits and I've seen a lot of the cities of kits. Well, there are no cities of kits. We didn't get that new suave of kits. So it's finding the bits you can pull across are newer kits and that so I brought is, up another picture like this more like a family photo of yours uh, so that is so at the front we've got my lovely lady who wins me awards at tournaments um, she has a name but that's what I call her um, she's my Vendati executioner she's a clockwork witch hunter who use technology and their general wiles to assassinate wizards purely on the basis that there was a necroquake, magic's unstable, and someone had to be blamed. And we all know people like finding someone to blame. And she's decided it's all wizard's fault. You know, there's too much magic around. They're going to trim it back slightly, and she's good at what she does. Uh, behind her, we've got some... I'm struggling to see my own photo. Uh, my crossbows and my 
halberdiers who, if I'm running at an official event, are free guild guard of halberds and crossbowmen. And the rest of the time, they've got their own unique scrolls because they're definitely wearing more armor than a five up or a six up save. Uh, so they rock a four up and their own personal steam pikes when playing narratively, which is sort of, it's the aim was to build something that can be cities of Sigmar. It can go from an event and be a free guild guard or a crossbowman, but can also play narratively where they play the way they look. There is a man in heavier armor. It is a fancier looking weapon than the man in poofy shirt with the halberd. And at the back is my weird science, which is a Venturian Reclaimer, which is a giant mining laser using Skaven Reclaimed Warpstone. Or it's a Luminarch for go to tournament because he's got a giant thing on top that looks like it'll fire a beam forwards. And it loosely fits the scroll. If the scroll goes vague war machine with laser cannon on top, it fits that enough that it's tournament legal whilst also having its own story. Yeah, that's great, and I think, um, and, and we'll talk about we'll talk about tournaments in a minute because I do really want to talk about tournaments. Um, but the fact that you've gone above and beyond and written your own war scroll, and you know, some tournaments won't accept it; they'll want you to play, no, you know, the traditional. And it's great that you're able to port this into the cities of Sigma. But um, and narrative gaming is becoming more and more um, accepted, and people are more and more creating these narrative events. The the neo community are putting on more events, so. Um, it's great that you're able to kind of, you know, bring your own story to life, but also at the same time, um, you know, you can still play with this at a tournament. Maximizing the use for the models, which, I mean, some of the models cost a lot of money to build in the end. So if I can take them to a proper event and I can take them to a narrative event as well, and I can spend my time writing about them as well, it looks nice. And what's cool about narrative events as well is that um, they're, they're not locked in with points too. So some narrative events will have points to kind of create like a power level. Yeah. Some narrative events won't, and um, you're able to balance you're able to balance the power level or the storytelling in different ways. So I'm sure um, you'll have some ideas and some feedback for your custom war scrolls as well. Um, like how do you bring that to life at a gaming table? Because I imagine like if I've got a, a whole bunch of handgunners with better armor, um, they wouldn't be the traditional 100 points that Cities of Sigma have illustrated. Um, so no. I'm sure there's plenty of ways around that. Yeah, so, I mean, it's everything I do, I strive for balance. So nothing narrative is designed to be better. It's designed to be different then because you don't want 100-point crossbows or 100-point crossbows who have a better save. It's just not... The models are designed to reflect the story and the scrolls are designed to reflect that same story. Um, and currently up we have the first model for my city, which is the Iron Sworn Templar, which I was watching a lot of people lamenting the lack of knights in Age of Sigmar. So I thought if with Age of Sigmar's bigger and grander, a knight on a horse doesn't really fit in necessarily as well as it did. So he's strapped to a giant walking steam tank, essentially. Uh, he can almost be eye to eye of a tree lord because if there's monsters stomping around and you want to look your enemy in the eye, you need to get a bit of a leg up, which he has in a giant weird walker. And then my halfling gyrocopters because everyone loves a halfling. Oh, uh, I love my halflings. Box, but I love a halfling. And the bomb strapped underneath because whilst the copters naturally have theirs buried in the back, I like the visual representation of the bomb. Some have dropped more, some have dropped less, but we can tell who's doing well and who's doing badly in that squadron. 
I like it. And, and, and these are just a couple of ideas that I'm absolutely loving that you've brought to life. A simple idea that you just, like, you literally just ended us off with. You can show by, by the amount of bombs on the gyrocopter who's doing well and who is not. That, without even doing anything, is telling a story. And I think that's beautiful. Cheers. All right, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode because we've kind of now shown off, you know, what you guys can do and how you guys have got there. Let's break it down. So, first things first, um, how do you source bits? Now, this is this is like opening Pandora's box. So, JP's already alluded to he's looked at his kitchen, he's looked at his ping pong table, he's looked at other model ranges, he's looked at his garden. Cool. What... Where, where else do you get bits? So, Ricky, I'll go to you first. Oh, no, no, go JP. JP, JP, be, be a little bit quiet. JP, where do you source bits? So, well, I have a, a tendency to buy kits for, for the smallest little thing. Sometimes you, you buy a kit and you say, oh, that left arm would be really good. <laughs> the pro- the, as a result, I then have quite a big bits box of almost entire sets of things that you can then dip into later on. Um, and You're clearly done, not paying Australian prices, by the way. Not playing it. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I've recently moved to Spain, so um, I'm now paying European prices, which are more painful than when I was living in the UK. So I'm I'm starting to feel this a bit more now that I'm living here. But I compared my to heart Australia, I know, my I heart bleeds for you. My heart bleeds for you. Put it this way: when I went to when I went to uh, play Blood and Glory a couple of years ago, one start collecting box. Uh, no, sorry, sorry, two start collecting boxes was the price of one. So I basically bought four boxes and I basically paid two, two at home. So I like, buy one, get one free. And that's how I justified it to my wife. But this is not a complaining about prices. This is about where do you source your bits? So you buy some, so one place you can do it is go buy a kit and go buy an arm. Mm. The alternative, of course, is, um, is, is to sculpt things. So sometimes I make things entirely from green stuff. But the problem with that is it tends to be for bespoke things, for painting projects, for display pieces. If you're doing an entire army, it tends to get prohibitively time costly. You can spend 10 hours and you've got your five arms. It's not really going to not really going to be viable. So um, sometimes it's just finding alternatives. Having a bits box is is the is a good good um, is a good source for me. And this is the thing. Over over the course of years, they build up. You think, oh, I didn't get I only got two or three extra bits from that from that kit, but over over a few years they do build up. Ricky, where, yourself, where, where do you source bits from? Um, I spend far too much at Warhammer World. Um, <laughs> so I live in Nottingham. Uh, it's probably where I want to go there. So um, whenever I make anything, the key requirement is it's all self-made or GW or Forge World. Because if I'm going to play, I'm definitely playing at Warhammer World because it's got fancy tables and fancy army these fancy tables. Uh, so I will go through every room there. I mean, the exhibition loves me because I'm there a lot. And you'll find, like I say, you'll find, buy a kit for that one head. I bought uh, some Atalan Jackals, so I wanted one for a Goliath to pose on for my Necromunda, which somewhere down the line, the rest of those heads have now gone on the new Admech flyers because I had heads with goggles on that suitably fitted the collection. But the bits box builds, but if you start a project and go, I'm going to need 500 Halberds, you're going to go insane trying to find them. But if you go, I need some halberds there and then the kits are giving me the halberds is giving me some heads i can put on the riders over there and do it a kit at a time you'll find your bits box filled up with the bits for the next thing 
and you're looking for combinations will then build it for you. I also troll eBay, which is easy one because I have a great memory, but only specifically relating to Warhammer kits. The rest of the time I'm useless, but I could tell you I wanted the Empire Lances and I wanted that one wonky looking Bretonian hat. So I will sit there and go through various search terms and you get sellers that you know you'll buy from again, or you'll just trawl through the auction to look for something that ultimately the kit's not worth much, but it has that head you want. So you'll get it dirt cheap. So being a tight ass Australian and again, uh, I, I can't refinance my, my house for the fourth time every time Games Workshop brings out a, an army. So I'm with you. Uh, eBay is definitely a great place. Um, I've got a couple of websites that I go to often because um, there are third party sites, places like Bits and Kits, .co.uk, I think it is, um, bitsboxed.co.uk. Um, there's just two examples of websites that sell and break break down parts. So if you're just looking for that one head, um, like the other day, I actually bought a whole bunch of Gargan bits. So I'm like, I want to convert my Gargans. What am I going to do? So I went to the Ogre range and I bought, you know, the big cannon from the the scrap launcher. Oh, scrap launcher? Like there's a cannon, big cannon. And then uh, there were, like I, I basically went into a bunch, a whole bunch of random parts and bought some, bought the the, the Gorgon stone that like, they're going to throw, right? So went to the Gorgon kit and I got a couple of things from the Gorgon kit. Then I went into, you know, um, got a whole bunch of uh, Demigriff Knight shields because I want to put more shields on them. So... I was able to go and buy, and basically for the for, for the price of one particular you know kit, I was able to get a whole bunch of specific parts to my model. So um, eBay's great. You know there are third party sites like that. Um, speaking of third party sites, so one thing that I did recently was I converted my Shadow Warriors from Empire Archers. The reason I wanted to do that was one, archers are no longer in the game, but two, my Iodira Shadow Warriors were basically an invisibility spell from Hallowheart as opposed to being Shadow. So I painted them up like a um, like an invisibility spell, you know, very blues and very whites kind of invisible, you know, almost like the old um, Dungeons and Dragons cartoons and how they they kind of um, show that show that off. But there are third party sites that they, all they do is they build little resin parts. And, and I was able to find like some, uh, like they were called brotherhood heads. Essentially, they're just like hooded cloaked heads for humans. And um, I, I, I head swapped that. So um, there are so many places out there. Um, uh, another piece of advice, again, being a tight ass Australian, is I will bit swap. So I'll ask my friends and uh, Ben Spinetti, a good friend of mine, we, we, we swap parts all the time. So I traded him a whole bunch of, uh, I can't remember what I gave him, uh, but he gave me a whole bunch of the fish that come with um, the deepkin, you know, around the bases. I, I wanted some of the fish for a different project. So you can swap either on Facebook groups or with your friends. Um, and I don't, know if, I don't know about the conventions that you guys go to, if you have conventions, but um, they often have people who sell old models and often people will put their bits in a bits box and they'll sell the bits box or little containers of bits boxes for like $5.00. And you don't know what you're getting, but there's always random parts and um, you might not need it right away, but you use them eventually. And all of this is before you even start talking about 3D printers. Oh, I'm, well. I'm still holding off because I still can't quite justify it to my partner, but uh, one day I'm going to buy one. And I think that's going to open Pandora's, uh, Pandora's box for sure. 
Well, at minimum, there are people who, who will commission out 3D printed models. So mm. I only I don't have a resin printer. I have the filament printer. So it's really good for terrain, not really good for, for miniatures. But I've got plenty of friends who have a 3D printer for resin. And I can I can find a file. There's um, free websites like Thingiverse, Thingiverse. or... Um, uh, there are people who, who will commission your, your piece of work. And if you had something specific in mind, you could then get that file, go to your 3D printing friend or business, and they'll print them and, they, and they, they, they're, not, they're not expensive. So um, so that, that, that's, I guess that, that was a couple of ideas. Any other ideas you guys have when it comes to sourcing items? It's interesting you were mentioning the bit sites actually, because one thing I sometimes I spend too much time on bit sites. Um, but one of the things you mentioned is sometimes you can go um, you can go on a website like that, and maybe you know you need an, an axe, for example. You maybe you type axe into the search bar, and you get all of these weird and wonderful axes that you completely had forgotten about. And you're like, oh yeah, there's that one from the fire slayers. Oh yeah, you could have a fire slayer axe. Little things like that. Sometimes even just search bars on bit sites are quite a good um, good little tip. Because um, the other problem is them being in stock. Because sometimes you want something and you can't find it for, for love nor money. But sometimes if you're looking for a pouch or an accessory or something like that, just to to disguise a gap that you were going to fill with green stuff or maybe you, you weren't, I don't, whatever. But you can just type in pouch or accessories into bits of kits, for example, and you'll get all these different things. And maybe there's the most, the ones that people instantly think of are all sold out, but maybe there's one or two kits that are a bit more niche and people haven't thought to go to that part of the website. I shouldn't have told everyone that now because that's my trick, but. <laughs> I find Facebook groups are really handy as well. Um, I know in Australia, and I'm sure it's irrelevant across the world, is that Australia, for example, has a buy, swap, and sell. So one, I can go out there and say, hey, guys, I'm looking for X. And people will sell me their bits box parts for, um, actually, funnily enough, people are actually really nice. There's been plenty of people that have said, look, you can have the part, just pay me postage. Um, or give me a dollar a dollar or two dollars and I'll, and you can have it so they're very very kind but then there are other groups that'll basically say um, they're, they're purely only for trading so people will put them th their, their things up and say I'm looking for this what have you got and you can do a bit of a, a bits box exchange as well so uh, and I know some conventions actually even have that set up where people will have their bits box on the table and you can go up there and you can either buy from it or you can trade so um, again, Sourcing parts doesn't have to mean buying a whole kit. Um, there are lots of ways you can break it down and find something that you need without spending a lot of money. Do you guys have any favorite kits you want, that you, you draw from? I do, for example. Um, <laughs> I have a bit of a, a love affair with, with three kits in particular. I really like the, uh, the Corsair kit. And it's bizarre because I've never built any Corsairs ever, but I seem to use their swords on everything. Anything that's even remotely chaotic and it needs a sword, uh, my, my go-to is the Corsair swords. I think for me, because I quite, I quite like things to be more realistically proportioned, they're quite nice because they're designed for elves. They, if you put them in the hand of a, of a Vestigal, they look like, uh, it makes the Vestigal look intimidatingly large. And uh, it almost looks like a butter knife in their hand. It's quite impressive. Um, but yeah, I use the Corsair kit quite a bit. So yeah, Trey, yourself, any, any parts that you draw from, any, any kits in particular? Corridor for me. Um, the bodies are fantastic for any poor man in any game. Uh, 
weird little legs that have been cut off. They've got a weird mechanical foot in the kit. Uh, the heads are the perfect creepy human heads. And so my Sisters of the Watch, where they're kind of indoctrinated witch hunters, the masks, the pointy noses, they look like a weird cult. And even the weapons, some of them can pass for a suitably rudimentary low-tech pistol. Because Corder aren't great tech in Necromunda. They're arguably not great tech in Age of Sigmar either. So barring clearly advanced stuff, it's got weapons, it's got heads, it's got torsos that can all donate to multiple different kits. So it will just stock your bits box for you, which it's, I love. And it's funny you say that because recently, my most recent purchase was Cordor uh, Crossbow. Um, so Ash McEwen in my community has done this amazing Cities of Sigma fr- uh, flagellant kind of army. And just to compliment that, he has used the Cordor kit. And um, I was mentioning earlier my Scourge Runner chariots. They have a harpoon. And um, Ash had basically said, why don't you use the, the big, the big uh, crossbow? It's like a really big crossbow uh, as opposed to a small crossbow. It's like, why don't you use that as your harpoon launcher? And I'm like, that's brilliant. That's such a great idea. So I've now sourced some of those bits. Um, so again, we've got Necromunda, we've got Blood Bowl, we've got 40K, we've got Age of Sigma. We've got literally, uh, I've been looking at some other models. Um, it is quite hard when you look at other other particular companies because um, traditionally they don't do... So Age of Sigma is almost a 32 mil game as opposed to 28 mil. Yeah. So if I looked at, let's say, my um, my Lord of the Rings versus Age of Sigma, there is a small a size difference, so it, so it makes it hard to port things over. Um, same as same as true with like Malifaux or any other game, but there are some things you can draw upon um, if you are confident or cheeky or you've got some skills yeah it's also true if you just want little people it works quite well i've got the the wood elves from the lord from the hobbit i use them as little um forest uh, sprite things for my uh, age of sigma games and they work quite well if you want little people it works quite well <laughs> by the way they're, they're, those things are, are priceless if you can find the little things like going to the dryad kit and get the little owls or get the little little dragons from the the medusa kits and like like that, that, that those things alone, uh, the, the little crows that go on the, on shields and things. But um, I think again, you can source your 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 kits and your parts from from anywhere. And I think hopefully we've got a few ideas. Um, so we've talked a little bit about like how do you plan your project. So you guys have kind of alluded to, you know, you look at a model, you you draw inspiration from a book, a story, a song, um, you know, something that's happening outside in the world. You start with a you start with a particular model, maybe or a concept. You you build it out. Um, how how else do you plan out a project? Do you do you have everything you need from the get go, or is it something that kind of you, you you build as you go? Like Ricky, how did you how did you build out the Midnight City? I built one walker, um, and it was a steam walker, uh, which meant the infantry looked very low tech. So the sort of Germanic ones starting out, they didn't fit with the walker anymore so i took from 30k originally to make bits of the walker so i looked at 30k range and solar auxilia are the perfect steampunky infantry they they've got a big thing strapped to their back they're in boiler suits they got armor plates over them and i started with a kit of them i bought a pistoliers box because it's got the suitable like fancy hats on it's got some pistols that went off to the corridor to become some artillery crew over there so I built the universe around the initial model and he then lent inspiration and context to every other model that had to be around him. If your knight is a man strapped to a giant steam walker, 
your basic infantryman is probably a bit more armoured than the French cloth armoured men in the other armies. But the labourers who built the sort of steamwalker, they're in the ragged clothes of the corridor because they only exist to service the noblemen who go out there. They're not rich, they're not wealthy, they just exist to make him reach battle. And I universe build around the first model and that then leads into the rest of the models. So it's not like you sat down and said, right, I'm going to buy all these parts. Here's my 2000 point army. And this is what I'm going to do with this. And this is what I'm going to do with this. And this is what I'm going to do with this. It's something that you started off with an idea, you built it out. And then just that kind of inspired and fueled you and brought new ideas to life. Because I imagine this Midnight City doesn't look like, so what you've got today did not look like what you started with when you very first put your first model together. It's changed. It's only changed slightly. And AOS is a progressive setting. The time has changed in game for when I first started as well. We've had a Necroquake. We've got Bone Reapers. The story has changed as well. It's not a static setting. So my newer stuff's a bit sleek in the old stuff. Uh, I've had my own law has changed slightly. They've been under siege. They've had a reason to build this new stuff. And like John was saying earlier, I build models. I don't necessarily build army stuff. If I build a model, I have an idea, I build a story, and then at the end, I will try and wedge them on the right base to count as something in the game. The, the story and the model is the important part. The game is just so I can grow the story with... Because if I write every battle, eventually I'm going to become biased. I'm going to say they won, they were awesome, they keep going and going and going. I'm a terrible game player. So if I want them to lose a battle, I'll play it out on the table and I can guarantee you I will lose that battle. But the little bits in it, so all oh, his walker got broken. So the next one, the dwarves are inside the walker. They don't want to get impaled in the front. They they know to get in it, not strapped to the front of it. So the games will then let me build my models and I build models. I also happen to play games, but I definitely build models primarily. So if you were if you were a tournament organizer, so if you were a tournament player, you certainly want to have that in mind. You, obviously, Ricky, you you're playing more narrative, or you know your your primary focus is narrative. Not to say I've that lost it's a lot not of competitive. I've, I've turned up. I've lost a lot of tournaments. If that's any comfort, um, I, I orig it's knowing the type of gamer you are as well. So I went to a tournament with my lovely converted army that I'd wedged on the right bases, and then I sulked when I came in like the bottom ten. And I was like, well, I built models and kind of fitted them into a list, but I didn't build a tournament list. So measure your expectations in terms of the modeling and in gaming based on where you fit on that spectrum. That's definitely true. I did almost an identical thing with my Beastman army. I built things saying, oh, that looks good. We'll make a few of those. I had big, old, I had lots of gores and um, competitively, Gores are um, not the way to go at the moment from the Beast of Chaos book. So uh, I had this lovely army and it was absolute garbage on the table. <laughs> Just play for painting prizes, painting and modeling exactly. prizes. That's what you go to a tournament <laughs> for. Which, which is important. Um, I probably work the other way. I probably go, right, I'm building a tournament list. How do I build that in? So for Cities of Sigma, for example, I knew that I was going to play Hello Heart when I went to CanCon or Tempest Eye when I played at South, South Australia GT. And I'm like, I want to bring in a, a gunstock gun hauler. Cool. How do I how do I make that model in my narrative? So I'm almost like going the complete opposite. I guess the, again, there's two ends of the spectrum. Um, 
JP, how do you how do you plan out and and prepare a project? So, so I'm actually very very impatient when it comes to these things. So I'm actually trying to be better at this. Um, I mentioned I was starting a City Sigma um, army. I'm trying a Living City one, and I'm trying to to do this differently. I'm trying to. I've got a little PowerPoint, and I've got the units I want. I've got it so it's vaguely competitive, and I'm going to try and build it according to this list. I mean, I failed already. I'm on the third miniature, and I've already started building spike weapons, which which are not necessarily bad, but it wasn't on my original um, my original list. Um, but I'm trying to say, okay, right, I need this, this, and X, Y, and Z. These are the kits I'll need to do it. Possibly, probably, I will incorporate various things from the bits box later on. But in general, I must admit, I don't do that. In general, I tend to be a bit impatient and say, oh, that's a cool idea. Let's. What have I got already? Blue tap, blue tap, blue tap. Oh no, that doesn't work. Blue tap, blue tap, blue tap. I can't. Be, I, I'm not going to wait for anything else. Let's continue to combine existing bits until it looks vaguely okay. In, in fact, the um, my Lord of Change that looks a little bit like an owl is a really good um, example of that because um, that was. <laughs> I was. Oh, I really want to build a, a Lord of Change, so I bought the Lord of Change kit and I was. Oh, I. I I want it to have an owl face. So I had this concept of I want it to be this creepy owl. And um, I thought, but I can't, I'm not going to wait for any of the parts. And I could buy, again, I could go to my favorite toy shop and buy a, a toy owl and chop the head off. But I resisted. And actually, the end result was using parts that are only from the Lord of Change kits. There's absolutely no other bits from any other kits in there at all. It is purely green stuff and parts from that same kit used in a different configuration. It's. Um, yeah sometimes it's being impatient is uh, is a terrible terrible thing is that process always the same like do you guys always go this through this same step of uh building a first model and then letting it kind of evolve or like what you guys have shared or do you guys does a project start differently no matter like like you like for me, for example, um, I mentioned that I had a list in mind and I try to fit it in and I source parts and then like that, that, that's just one process. But recently, you're right, with the Scourge Runner, I've used BlueTac to do things. With the Gargans, I've been re reading stories and then I've been looking at this model going, right, where do I cut it? Where are the joints? So I, I'm personally doing different things for different projects. But you guys are the professionals. Do you guys always have the same process or do you jump around? I'm I'm not good at waiting, as, as John said. It's the impatience gets you. So if I have an idea, that idea is probably happening within the week I've had it. So the Admet Cavalry have been painful for me because I had the idea when we first saw them, and I've had a bits box on my shelf waiting marked for them. So I actually planned that one, but only because I physically couldn't get access to the kit until yeah. them. But with the first walker uh, that showed off, I got the Iron Circle. I'd never used a Dremel before. My other half was on standby in case I impaled myself with it. And rather than planning out, it was wedged in a vise. I was like kind of poking it with the drill bit. Like, it's going to be hollow through the chest. It's going through. It's like, if I wreck it, then it's going to be rubble on something's base. Yeah, it'll get used somehow. But I knew where I wanted to get. And I didn't have the patience or necessarily the self-control to, to work out how I was getting it. I was like, it's going to be hollow. And I've got a drill bit attached. And the two will work somehow together. And it did come together. It came together very well. But if I try and replicate that a second time, my second walker is the one I hate the most because I was trying to revisit an old idea. It wasn't new inspiration. It was trying to repeat myself, which I really struggle with. Yeah. 
I love that. I love that. You, uh, you're a man near, near and dear to my heart. I, I, I lack so much patience. As, as excited I was for that AdMech release with the flying dudes, I couldn't wait. So I just went in and, and, and found my own way. Um, JP, your process, does it vary? Or do you have like a structured, like I do this, then I do this, then I do this? I, it's very much what Ricky's saying, really, is, is um, if you try and make it too formulaic, it all sort of falls to pieces. If you think, oh, this worked really well on the previous one, I'll just copy what I did last time. Sometimes, I don't know, maybe it's a slightly, in, a diff in the same unit, you're trying someone with a slightly different pose. Maybe it doesn't quite work. The pieces don't line up in the same way and the legs are facing in a different angle. I think each one, you have to take the overall idea and think, okay, but this particular one, this has a slightly different set of parameters. There's a couple of different things I need to think about here. What extra little pouch or what extra little bit of chain or what extra bit of fur pelt am I going to add on here to make it look like that particular miniature is, is complete and not like it's trying to copy the good idea that I had last week, if you know what I mean. So what I'm hearing is that it's uh, the process changes and you kind of you guys adapt quite quite often yeah. um, because the, the, I think the thing that I've learned the most is that it never goes to plan. Sometimes the the the, the, the bits just don't fit. They're too big. They're too small. Um, you've got to shave something down. Um, you had an idea and you try something else and it worked better than your original concept. Hey, Ricky, you said it. Things evolve and you you learn. You adapt, you get new tools, and and you try things, and they either work or they don't work. So I think converting a kit bashing is this constant evolution of um, of, of learning and applying new techniques. It's also about the confidence that you're going to mess up. Something is going to go wrong. I mean, I, fortunately, I didn't impale myself on a Dremel, but I was prepared for that at least. Uh, but if you're not willing to fail at it, you're not going to try. You're going to do something very safe that in the end it might not match your vision at all so the worst thing is to make something and have it end up as nowhere near your vision so close or i tried is great but if you build something that you don't necessarily love you're not necessarily going to paint it that well either because the whole time you're thinking this is this is not where i wanted to be i didn't take that chance or get that head that perfect head that i was waiting for and you've got to love what you do especially when you put a lot of money into these things you have to love it and i love building things i love wasting money on these things and if i ruin it i'll love smashing it up on a base i'll take out my frustration it will become rubble somewhere so you're leading me to exactly where i wanted to ask you and jp we're gonna say something no, I was just going to say one thing you can do to avoid that kind of, because um, that first cut is always the terrifying bit, is you can do things with, with Photoshop and, or even just PowerPoint if you're, if you're, if you're slightly low, lower tech like me. As you can see roughly what something's going to look like beforehand, you find the various pictures of the different kits, you put them all together in a horrible collage, make it all black and white, and you get a rough idea of what something's going to look like at the end. And sometimes you think, oh, no, no, that, that looks horrible. I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to get the cutter and the scalpel out the jaw. It's not worth it. And uh, Tristan, Tristan Gray has joined the chat. He is another absolute legend uh, when it comes to kit bashing and converting, and he's saying that Ricky now only has eight fingers. Um, <laughs> um, I was going to ask you about tools, but before we, uh, we talk to tools, I think we've kind of danced around this concept of failing. Um, 
So one, people have a fear of failing. When I look at my Gargan, I don't want to waste a hundred dollar kit. Um, if I make the wrong cut, I don't want to throw it in the bin and kind of you know, start again. Um, or I, I, I'm scared that I, I, I do something wrong and it doesn't kind of go that way. And that might stop people from converting and kit bashing. What are your thoughts around, I guess, quote unquote failing? Um, when you make the wrong cut, JP, um, and it doesn't work to plan, um, what do you do? Uh, you know, is, is the model salvageable? Like, um, how do you, how do you kind of, uh, you know, t pivot and then kind of, you know, find a new way to do the model? Like what, what happens when you fail? Well, this is the nice thing about everything being physical is, is it's actually very easy to take things off again. I know sometimes people go, oh, you've applied glue, that's the end, that's the be all and end all. But you can still cut legs off after you've glued them on. You can still remove things, even with green stuff. If you put on some green stuff and it looks terrible, if you're, if you're resilient enough, you can peel it back off again and you can more or less get it off. Um, I, think, I think a lot of the time in my, well, I'm probably a bad person to ask because I actually have a graveyard of, of conversions that I'm that not they're not they're not failed necessarily. I've just run out of enthusiasm for them, and um, they sit there and occasionally parts get salvaged for other projects. But I, I think that's the point: is you you can reuse things. Everything that you buy in the future, you will use that amazing head that you bought for one project. You will use that amazing weapon that you got for something. All of it is so modular that you'll find a use for it eventually. Be it in two weeks, two months, two years. Ricky, anything you'd add to that? Um, failing happens. I mean, there's, there's no nice way to put it. Sometimes you do fail at things. Um, I'd love to be great at everything. I can't sculpt properly. I can gap fill like a pro, uh, but the reason I know most GW pit, bits now is because I can't make the arm, so I will find that arm. Um, but if something fails, uh, if anyone follows me on Twitter, I occasionally give away my failed projects. If I've lost love for it, if I don't have that spark of inspiration anymore, if it sits on my shelf, I'm going to feel bad every time I look at that model. And sometimes it's best just to say, I'm drawing a line under it, it can go away. It helps that we aren't paying $100 for Gargan here, which, you know, it's less painful when it happens. Um, but I enjoy building things. And if at the end of the build, I don't have a finished model, I've still spent probably a good five, six hours sat at the desk minimum making it. And movies cost more than some of the models that I've ruined. So I've got my joy out of it. If you don't enjoy building, failing is probably worse because you've gone through that chore and you've ended up with nothing. But I enjoy being a mad scientist sat here with green stuff, brass rod, glue, bit of wire in the corner, and I'll keep slamming it together. And eventually, if it runs out, I've been like a kid with Play-Doh at the end of it. They get nothing, but they get the joy of doing it. And if you enjoy what you're doing, then even if you fail, you spent a lot of time having a lot of fun. As Marek Wolf on the chat has also said, I think I, I couldn't have said it any better. He said, the only way to ruin a model is if you melt it. Um, if things don't go your way, you can always use it somewhere else, whether it's for basing, whether it is a, a you know, if I was to cut off my gargant and leg and the leg didn't go to plan, Maybe I get a peg leg. Maybe I go and try something completely different and it leads me down this path of pirate gargant. Um, like, who knows? Who knows? But being open and adapting, uh, I think, is critical to this. And um, there's been plenty of projects that I've started that didn't go to plan but have come out amazingly and something that's unique and special and different that I probably couldn't replicate again because of these accidents kind of just led me down this weird path and I went with the wind spontaneous inspiration 
love that what tools do you guys use so we've kind of talked already about some of the so you, so ricky you mentioned dremel um that's something that i've only recently purchased um for my hobby company it's taken me this long to buy dremel what are some of the tools you guys use so dremel is one when do you use it how do you use a dremel um i'm what? not a technical person um so i have a dremel it's not been used in a while because last time i used a sanding tip it fired off and whacked me in the forehead um which i was so fortunate it wasn't a blade or a drill that i'm terrified of my dremel currently um so it's there i've got it. i've got uh razor saws of various sizes because i might need to get inside for a bit i have a mold line remover i'm not entirely certain how to use it because i use a knife more often than that because it's a knife it i know how to use the knives uh clippers i have gouged a fairly healthy chunk of models of clippers because if i only want the left leg the rest unless i intend to use it i can carve away quite easily rather than doing delicate cuts i'm a terribly impatient person brass rod i order far too much brass rod off ebay um various sizes uh, either to pin the models or to be the halves of spears or axes so i've got clippers i use specifically for the brass rod um, i never use brass rod i always use paper clip um i just buy like i just use I just, pardon for a half of a spear you can't use a paper clip no 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 but like for pinning for example i'll use a paper clip and i'll just cut that down and and glue so it's so brass rod something that i haven't used yet but that's that's a good tip um, right. and glue make sure you're always stocked on glue because not everything's gonna be plastic which means if you don't have super glue in the drawer you're gonna get halfway for a conversion and then stew while you wait for it to someone to get you glue somehow which in lockdown is particularly challenging and i've learned recently as well there's like a, a fastener as well there's uh, there's there's super glue fastener that you can kind of spray and then it makes it glue even faster so you're sitting patient. there for 10 100 hours trying to hold trying to pin and hold these these two pits together there's some that cut it down to about half a second and you think is, is that really necessary is the three seconds of my life really that precious that i can't wait that long definitely <laughs> Ricky, Ricky, before I move to JP, uh, any thickness you use for your rods? You know, twenty-five or forty mil models. Is there any particular I would one that you lean to towards? Double check. Um, I believe it's either twelve or fifteen millimeter, which is roughly Stormcast half of a sword size. Uh, it's the current one that's through my uh, halberdier's hands because halberds are hard to source, but Vanguard axes from Stormcast and brass rods are cheap. Good tip, JP. What tools do you use? A very similar kind of range of things, really. Um, what would I add? Um, as well, if you start moving towards green stuff um, type of things, you'll want some tools for that as well. Um, dentistry tools are quite good for working with green stuff. Um, but I also tend to use, um, to be honest, some of them, though, are a bit unnecessary. You see these these kits and they say, oh, here's your 20 different tools you'll need if you're working with green stuff. I think from the, I did buy it, of course, everyone buys it. And I end up using about two of them, I think, in this. Um, but I regularly just use um, toothpicks or drawing pins or whatever I have to hand that looks roughly the right shape for the impression I'm trying to make. Um, in addition, clay shapers. If you're working with green stuff, trying to get a nice smooth finish on it, clay shapers, they're normally used for arts and crafts for, for people who work with clay, but they're really nice for smoothing out details and you can get the pointed ones, you can get the ones with flat ends. Um, I use them a lot. What else? Um, I also use model chain. Model chain in various different sizes is quite nice for disguising um, gaps, um, 
edges. You can use it on almost anything. A little bit of super glue, and you can get it into some nice organic shapes as well that make it look a bit more authentic. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, few, a few other things that I use. Um, one that I've gotten more comfortable with over over time is uh, a thing called blue stuff. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so I mentioned um, with my Phoenix Guard, I shaved off their their belly. Um, they have like a gem. It's very high elf, very elven gem. And I'm like, if if I don't get rid of this, I know it's gonna not allow me to do what I want to do. And there was this particular part in the flagellant kit which is like this little, little comet. It's like a little sigil and it's just a, a, a double blaze comet, like the, the two, two tailed comet. And I'm like, how on earth do I source 30 of these from a kit that almost nobody has? And I'd use blue stuff to replicate it. So basically blue stuff is like an Insta mold and you press it down and I use a bit of green stuff for a bit of resin and I could copy this little piece. Now, do I suggest you go and copy a whole model? No, it's not that good. But when you're trying to do something like an impression or um, I wanted to get the, um, so on the Hurricanum where the, the mage kind of stands and there's like the, there's a little, I guess a wheel and then the wheel is all about the, the eight, um, the eight colleges of magic or the eight schools of magic. Um, I wanted that impression for um, for objective bases. I was able to press that down and replicate that into an objective base. So tools like that, blue stuff is quite useful. Um, I'm a big fan of like um, uh, not only green stuff, but also uh, milliput as well, I find is, is good. Um, I, I probably, when I do bases, I probably use more milliput than green stuff. I do hear that milliput combined with green stuff, like a 50-50 blend, is actually quite good. Yes. Um, the ho I've got a hobby saw, so the hobby saw, so cutting down particular parts can be challenging, so you can get like these really fine blades, but I think to Ricky's point, if I don't care about the other part, I might just, just use yeah, the clipper. Yeah. Um, what else? What else uh, have I got? It's 1.5 millimeter brass rod. Sorry, I just double checked my eBay. Um, cool. The, the internet freaked out. Rod. They're like, oh my God, 25 mil brass rod. <laughs> 1.5 mil. And I think, I think that for me, when I started using green stuff, what really helped me become a better green stuff person was getting the appropriate tools. You can get like these little like, is it silicon, the rubber kind of yeah, tipped yeah. and you can kind of, and, and using things like uh, uh, water and Vaseline um, can really help you sculpting with green stuff. Um, I think previously I was using like a metal tool that just clearly wasn't working, but, mm. um, and even just heating up green stuff as well can, can, could be very helpful. Yeah. And like you were saying before, you don't have to be limited to green stuff. You've got milliput or even brown stuff. I use brown stuff from time to time when you want more slightly sharper edges, things like um, weapons, things like armor panels. Green stuff tends to have this slight softness. Yeah, yeah. Brown stuff is a good alternative for those types of things, I found. There's a couple of options. Like there's a silver version as well. There's a couple of different versions that do different things. You're right. I've got some brown stuff as well. Um, green stuff, blue stuff, brown stuff, like this. <laughs> the thing is, if you go on, on, on websites like Green Stuff World, you can spend an absolute fortune. You've got things like the rollers for the different impressions. You've got all sorts of weird and wonderful things. You can get very lost in, in places like that and spend an obscene amount of money very quickly. That, that, that's probably a really good point as well. Is like if you look at websites like Green Stuff World, for example, they've got rollers. And so like um, let's say I was a Nurgle player 
and I wanted more tentacles or I wanted to make my own, you know, I want to make more bestial type um, or corrupted type Nurgle models. They're, they've got a roller that allows you to create um, tentacles literally from green stuff and it'll do the impression. So it looks like tails and it'll look like there's actually a whole range of things. Um, so you can go out there and there are plenty of places that sell bits or um, things that allow you to use green stuff to make um, I remember when I was going to do my Terrorgeist, I had this inspiration that I wanted to put chain mail on my Terrorgeist. And Green Stuff World have this thing where they, they literally you, you press down and it creates green stuff into chain mail. So it's got the little hope, little loops and the little holes. And I'm like, sweet, that allows me to do chain mail on horses, chain mails on dragons. I could do whatever I want. The world is your oyster. Go use Google. Yeah, it's very true. Box. You'll build up the tools as you go. You're not going to start a project with all of them, but two, three projects in, they're going to build up. Any any advice you give me using green stuff? Any things that you've learned along the way? It's hard. <laughs> uh, I say I'm gapful like a pro, but I have my silicon tools. Uh, I love them. Arguably, I use more saliva than water to wear it down. But again, that's laziness and ill preparedness. I might not have a water pot nearby. Um, but it's it feels almost organic with sculpting it. It is not necessarily a technical sculpt. It feels more like drawing, like a pencil drawing. You are following the curves round. You're not jabbing. Unless you want to cause a hole, then you can jab. And it definitely is a case of practice, I think. Everyone, the first time anyone does anything with green stuff, well, the first time you don't mix it properly and it never sets. But the second time anyone ever does anything with green stuff is it looks horrible. Um, and I think it is just a case of practice, finding people who've got tutorials online, doing things like that, keeping it wet all the time and, and um, being a bit patient with it. Because if you use it immediately after you've mixed it, it's too soft to do lots of things with. You have to leave it to cure a little bit before you start working with it, because sometimes it just you, you can get something that looks really, really nice. And because it's still in that really soft state, it will slowly sort of flatten over the course of the next 10 minutes. And you are oh, wasted however long sculpting this lovely fur that now looks like someone's been pushed up against it for the last half hour. I know, I know some of the tutorials that I found the most useful for green stuff. So Marek Wolf, who is or was in the chat, um, he does YouTube tutorials that um, he's a green stuff master, in my opinion. Uh, so check him out. I, I would highly recommend it. But, you know, Vince Venturella, there's a lot of cool people that do green stuff and they specialize in that space. But um, you're right. Like when I did it for the first time, it looked like dog shit. Uh, it truly did. Um, but the good thing is I can just rip it off, throw it away and start again. Um, it, I, I can do that again and again and again and, and green stuff's really cheap. So it's not like I've just, you know, spent a lot of, um, lot of money. Oh, another idea that, um, Vince Venturella taught me was, um, he makes like this plastic putty. I don't know if you guys use this, but he, he'll melt down his old, his old sprues with plastic glue to make like a putty. So you can then use that putty to fill in some of your gaps or to build out a model and it will dry like plastic, uh, like the model. So that was something that has helped me as well as a tool with my green stuff. So 
If not, you, if you don't feel like melting down the sprue, uh, Vallejo do a similar product, which is a gap filler thing. And um, I've experimented a few times with liquid green stuff, and I find that the shrinkage is a bit of a problem. So sometimes alternatives like this, like the liquid sprue or the, the, the gap filler from, from Vallejo, work a bit better because they tend to keep the shape and they don't tend to shrink down and you end up with this, oh, now I've got another gap that I need to fill and you end up cracking out the normal green stuff to fix the job that should have been done by the, the liquid green stuff. Anything else you you guys want to add to that topic? Cool. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice. This is how excited I am about this chat. Um, so we've kind of talked about models. We've talked about sourcing bids. We've talked about green stuff. Um, any any advice or any recommendation when it comes to taking your models to a tournament? So like Ricky, for example, you know, you've got your, your models um, that clearly don't, they, they, some of them look very Cities of Sigma. Some clearly don't. Like, no offense, it's not a Luminarch. Like you showed me before, that's not a Luminarch. <laughs> it's cool, but it's not a Luminarch. So wh what advice do you have for me as a... And, and obviously this goes to JP as well, but what advice to you, do you have for me if I'm going to go to tournaments, whether it is official games workshop tournaments, whether it is events uh, in general and I want to play with my army, um, do you talk to the TO in, in advance? What are the conversations you have with your opponent? How do you remind them that this spider thing is a Luminarch, not a Griffin or a big spider? Like, talk me through this process and, like, what tips would you have for me if I was taking my highly converted army to an event? Um, so I most events I do at Warhammer World, so... Uh, it's near to me, it's easy, they do a lot of events. Um, their events team will always happily take an email way in advance, shortly in advance, give them more than the week's notice, but they'll take the email. And they have never rejected an idea yet. And if you've seen most of my models, there's plenty in there you can reject. Like I said, that, that not necessarily doesn't look likely. Not, it doesn't have wings, it couldn't possibly be a griffin. I don't see the confusion there. But um, as long as you talk to them about it and you go... It's based on the right size. So in terms of gameplay, uh, if I've changed the proportions, I will always give you line of sight. There could be three different buildings in the way. You're always going to have line of sight to that model because I can't guarantee the original Griffin's wing isn't an inch higher than I've got on mine. So opponent gets benefit of the doubt whenever that comes up. Uh, the events team will usually email me back. They're usually absolutely fine. And I've started doing pictorial army lists. So... When I give you my army list, every unit has a picture next to it showing exactly what's going to be on the table against you. So if you do get confused mid-game, you can just look down at my army list and go, weird walker thing with glowy blue crystal, Luminarch. And fortunately, each of my conversions look suitably unique that even on little pictures, you aren't going to confuse that with the actual Griffin. You know, you'll, you'll be able to tell them apart based on the list, which is it's a courtesy to the opponent, realistically. The TOs... Every one of events team person I've met has been lovely. They love the hobby. They love conversions. At no point are they going to say, don't bring a conversions event because they want to see it there. Um, but you need to give them the notice and give your opponent the courtesy of saying, you're probably not going to recognize these because I don't think anyone else has these that you'll ever have faced. So here's exactly what they are. And if there's any confusion, we'll stop and benefit of doubt will go your way. Yeah. That's great because I think one of the concerns that I know when I asked the internet for some advice and some questions, though, you know, one of the biggest con concerns was um, modeling for advantage. You know, um, you know whether you you reduce the size of a particular model to your point. You know, the Griffin's wings would be spread out, and your particular model doesn't, or you know, it's not not high enough, or um, 
you've you've made a phoenix guard that doesn't look like phoenix guard and then in the heat of the battle i forget their phoenix guard and it's almost like a, an i gotcha moment so um there was a bit of trepidation around like bringing in and, and and to what level do i convert other than just a head swap um but it sounds like you're talking to the tournament organizer in advance. I imagine you're sending photos in advance, like, hey, and obviously as as Warhammer World, for example, gets to know you, they're going to remember some of your models. But sending photos in advance, showing off what it is, um, the conversation you're having your opponent. Um, I love the fact that you're giving people the benefit of the doubt. That's very, very kind and very, very good of you. It's also, so before an event, because I, I don't necessarily, I, I'll never win an event. My army list will probably be online for about two or three weeks beforehand. So if you're following the event, you're on Twitter, and you look around to see anyone that's going to Throne Skulls doubles, you can probably, if you wanted to, see my list and tailor against it, but I'm not going to be your strongest opponent that weekend. So you've just tailored to the bottom of tables. But you have that kind of advanced notice that some people going there will have been able to see and prepare and necessarily be aware of what these models are. There's no sneaking out a sort of half an inch tall phoenix guard that you're not going to recognize on the table i i like sharing my models and i'm not there to win so the pictures are going to be everywhere before you go as well yeah i think i think for me the the critical piece here is that the intention and i had a conversation literally last night with dan um from uh the honest wargamer dan unsupervised and we're talking about sportsmanship and we're talking about you know just the, the you know the the intention that you have when you come to the table and being a good human and, and being a good sport and i think here the tension is quite clear the intention with your your um your tree lord ancient which is you know does, looks nothing like a tree lord ancient um the intention is not to reduce the size the intention is not to confuse your opponent the intention is really to build a narrative force that you're having fun to convert in cute bash that tells a story and the fact that you're willing to give your opponent the benefit of the doubt when you bring it to the table just shows, you know, you're a great sport and your intentions are clear, not that you're cutting half the model off, that it's submerged underwater because my narrative is they live in a swamp. But clearly you're blocking line of sight and um, getting all the benefits, but none of the, the negatives. Um, Tree Lord's still growing. It's just an arm out the ground as it gets there. Yeah. It'll evolve as the battle goes on. JP, what are your thoughts? Do you take your, your models to events? Yeah. Have you ever got any feedback? I think it's exactly what I, I will basically just be reiterating what Ricky said, basically. But the onus is on you to make sure that everyone's aware what everything is and um, the fact that, yes, it's unconventional. But again, as Ricky says, if you're if you're coming to an event with, with an army that's so different and so unique, in general, maybe you've done it for, purely for the aesthetics, the chances are it's not going to be the most competitive thing in the world. Chances are it's not going to be smaller. I, I, I mean, in general, I don't tend to go smaller with my conversions. Things tend to end up much bigger than intended. So I don't think I've ever had it where it's smaller than the original model, much larger and still just about fits on the base, maybe. That's exactly what Nino, um, who's a narrative uh, event organizer in the chat, just said. He's like, every time he does a kit bash, it's always bigger than the original. You just, you just, when you're doing something like that, it just becomes larger than life. It does become bigger. You keep, you keep to the original base, um, or you keep to as close to the original base as possible. I think that's where, if you were a tournament attendee and you wanted to do well at a tournament keeping to the original base and trying to make it as reflective as possible as what you're trying to make it. So if you are trying to kit bash, and, and I had this conversation recently with somebody who were trying to make Phoenix Guard, but more like Wood Elf type Phoenix Guard. 
or living city type phoenix guard and it's tough because if you're going to draw upon the glade guard like how do you how do you take the glade guard bodies but make it phoenix guard and not just fancy glade guard so um just putting a head swap is often not enough it just depends you just got to make sure if you go into a tournament that it looks as similar or as 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 you know about 70 percent of what you're trying to make it look like but if you're going to events and narratives and you don't really care about just do what you want to do um because the last thing i'd want people to walk away with is getting super inspired they do a whole bunch of conversions and then the tournament organizer goes no you can't bring this does does not look like go, uh, go trek and i've seen this i've happened i've seen this a few times actually where people have tried to convert go trek and they've just used like a standard dwarf you're like uh, are you just trying to be cheap and trying to avoid paying for go trek or is there something that's tied in and i think that's where intention really comes into play the internet's often a lot harsher than tournament player as well so i've seen many, plenty of people online who go i would never play your army it's too confusing it's 240k if we were at an event i would throw the game and leave and you're just throwing away an easy win let's be fair um i i i, I win one out of six games at a weekend and i apologize to that one person i beat but no player in person said anything other than oh what's that can i can i have a look at it can i see it closer no one i've met in person has ever been as vitrolic as that one person online who will tell you that you've clearly gamed to win because there's half a millimeter difference on your tree lord um it's it's not reflective of the player you'll meet Every i've sadly seen it once it once in my whole AOS career, I've seen it once. It wasn't to me. It was at an event, and um, someone was running like a orc carriage and overlords force that was was drawn from inspiration from like the forty k orcs. And um, I, I remember to this day, this this opponent just thought it was two forty k, and basically it got to a point where they didn't even play. Um, so, but that's one from. I probably attended like a hundred tournaments and I've played tournaments across the world. It was just one experience I've seen. Um, so th th there's always one douchebag out there. Let's be honest, but um, you're right. I run a tournament and normally um, I, I don't think I've ever knocked someone back uh, unless their intention was just like, Oh, I don't want to buy a merworm. I don't want to go buy a rogue idol. So I'm going to go. No, like you can clearly see the intention was they were just trying to get out of buying the official model. Um, here's a rock from my garden with googly eyes on it. That he, here's of... a bunch of blue tack that I've stuck onto a base and I've yeah. sprayed it Mechanicus. I think you can see the passion in an army and I think a tournament organizer can see when it's a project that's been done for passion and when it's a gamey person. If it is a like 20 base with one skeleton arm on each, that's markedly different than someone who's got one crawling out of a grave, one's dragging a corpse behind him. You'll see the time investment on it as well as the effort and the passion. JP, anyone add to that? No, no, I completely agree. Um, completely agree with that. Nothing more to add to that one, really. I, I definitely think I've never had any problems with people saying, oh, these are... Um, your beast lord is slightly too high. I've never had any problem with anyone saying, "Oh, he's overlapping the base. I can't pile in properly against him." People say, "Oh, well, can I can I look?" Like Ricky was saying before, and I think that that massively trumps the, any kind of small thing that you might have from things being slightly the wrong size, slightly too. So, and again, like Ricky says, as long as you are um, giving them the benefit of the doubt with anything regarding rules, and. It, 
if you've made the army and you've made it as this passion project, I think it's in your interest to do that because you want to play with it as your army. You want the games. I, in, my, in my opinion, I'm not so worried about winning so much. It's, I want to play with this army that I've spent so much time building and, and converting. The, the winning is, is secondary to me. So even if you have the one, one in 100 games, like you're saying, I think it's a price worth paying eventually. Yeah. I think I think what's really cool as well is that when I bring my converted army to the table, and Ricky, I'm sure you get this in JP, so do yourselves, is that people get really excited to play your army. They're like, oh, this is something really unique. I'm really actually fortunate to, to – and I, I, people take photos, and I actually find that people take a lot more photos when I bring a converted army when they don't bring a converted army. Um, do you guys feel the same? I love photos of a game. Um uh, I'm really bad at remembering, so I, I get very into my game as well. So I'll remember on turn one, and I'll be like, oh, that's amazing, I'm going to take over there. And I'll remember at the very end of the turn when the clock's run down, but I miss some of the amazing, and that's one of the things that I'd love to get more, because I've played against some beautifully converged armies, and I get home and go, I love that model, but I didn't get a picture of it while I was there, and they're like, you're trying to rack your mind from memory for it. And from someone who's played against the converged armies, I love seeing them. I love finding those bits. And even the plane's moving, sometimes you'll sit there and I don't have a tactical mindset. I'm not going for my next turn. I'm like, that wheel's from that kit. And I'm going to I'm gonna go home. I'm going to get that wheel. It's, it's, it's inspiring for me to play against. Well, I don't know if my opponents feel the same way, but when I face one with a model I like, I'm enjoying it so much because I'm also model building in my head at the same time. And it might be why I'm so bad at the game is because... In my head, I already go. Oh, I want to do what he's done there. I'm gonna get your, your your strategy is where do I source this? Um, he's winning because his models clearly looks better than mine. So I'm gonna build that next time, and I'll win because the model looks better. That's that's how the game works, right? Pretty sure it does. Um, but yeah, like I, like for me, like I get really excited to play people's armies that have converted. Um, I think it's just an enjoyable experience. It makes it unique. And th to be able to play a force like, you know, yours in the Midnight City, that's like a once-in-a-lifetime. So if I did get match up to you at a tournament, you know, I'm going to take a lot of photos. I'm going to really enjoy this experience. It's and no offense to anyone who doesn't convert, but it's just that I can play a generic Slanish army whenever. But if I played a, someone who, who's gone in above and beyond and done some crazy stuff with Slanish, now we're talking. I thought I'd open the space if anyone else want to add anything. Um, man, we've talked a lot. We've talked a lot about conversion and kit bashing. And, um, you know, you guys have shown off some amazing pieces, which has you know, got me inspired. I think maybe the, maybe my closing comment or my, my closing question is, what's next? What are you currently working on? Or what's some of the, the craziness that's bubbling in in your mind that you're thinking about and going to kind of put on the table soon, maybe? Or maybe it's still brewing. JP, what are you what are you currently working on or what's brewing in your mind? Uh, well, I, I'm actually working on a... I think this is the standard, is you work on about six things simultaneously. Um, I'm actually working on a couple of things. So I'm doing a, a commission for a great guy called Jordan in the in the US um, where we're doing some Caradron Overlords, um, but Skaven themed. So I've taken... I think actually maybe there's some pictures that um, I, I sent you. But um, there are, um, we've taken the Courage on Overlord ships. We've added um, the um, play catapult support, side supports and turned them into wings so that it looks like they're flying around. And then we've got them um, crashing into some chimneys, crashing into towers. Um, it's, it's quite fun. We're doing that. Um, and then uh, simultaneously, I'm making an Armies on Parade board, which with um, some Nurgle 
Nurgle Christopher Columbus crossover, which is quite um, quite fun as well. <laughs> what? I know, I know. <laughs> like, go. Sorry, I'm, I'm just I'm bringing up the share screen. I've actually uh, okay. just pulled up, pull, pull up, and Jordan uh, Jordan's in the chat. He's just like, that's me. Uh -huh. <laughs> so here we go. So wow. this is the this is the original one that I did when so Jordan got in touch and said, Oh yeah, this would be this would be really cool. Can we can we do a whole army like this? And so we're in the very first um first stages of this. I think there's another picture of various things if, in various shades, shades of grey. Um I'm not gonna show it, but I'm gonna tell people to go on your Twitter I'm, and go go check that out. <laughs> please do. But yes, so at the moment, all sorts of things. Caradron rats and um, Nurgle Columbus crossovers. <laughs> that's awesome that is very 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 cool um i can't wait to see that ending no and ricky admec <laughs> my admec finally came out the cavalry so i've got them uh so i'm doing the fast element of my force so lots of cog striders there's going to be a mechanical griffin uh got my bird dudes uh got them in and i'm editing my battle time because i can and i like it and it's shiny and as much as I love building a model, when I managed to print my battle time out, that was a moment where I was like, it's all come together. Because it has pictures of my modeling as well. You know, I, I made it. Um, which, again, it's part of the hobby. So I, I'll build a model, I'll write the story, I'll write the rules for it. It's, I'm a completionist. And then I will go to an event and I'll either play it officially or unofficially. I'll find a way of using my rules. And I get to play test, I get to talk to players about rules because... We've all gone, that's too much, that's too little. But when I get to play test, I get players to give feedback as they go and go, why is it too much? Why is it too little? Does it fit what the model looks like? Because I want there to be that symbiosis. I love it. And if anyone's curious on what I'm working on, um, much like you guys, I have like a hundred projects on the go. I'm a bit of a hobby fly, hobby butterfly at the moment with COVID. I can't, I can't focus on one project. So I'm working on my KO halfling for my Tempest Eye. I'm doing my human white lion chariot scourge, char scourge runner chariots. I'm doing my, I've got a dreadlord on black dragon, which is the carmine dragon mixed with the old forge world Leopold the black. So I'm convert. I'm kit bashing that. I am trying to work out these gargants, and I've got a few other ideas that. Um, but I, I think what I've realised over time is, when I first started playing Warhammer, I think playing the game was the thing that I enjoyed the most. Now I realise that I enjoy building the most, um, and and if I could be a commission builder, I would. And I will scrape your mold lines. I will glue your parts. I will clip your sprues. Uh, that is the part that I enjoy the most. And I think that's why I've really found pleasure and joy in kit bashing and converting because it's something that I can do on the couch with my wife while she's watching crime shows. I can be clipping sprues. I can be, you know, carving things. I don't, I don't need the hobby light. Um, I can be building. I can be, you know, being present with my family. But I'm also doing hobby, and uh, it just looks great on the table. And I, I, I mess up. Cool. I'll, I'll try something different. I'm always learning. And I think for me, that's another part is just constantly learning, evolving, trying new skills, being hobby curious, talking to other other hobbies like you guys, going, how did you do what you did? And, 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 and finding new ways to improve my level of hobby. 
I think one thing that people don't talk about is if when you start doing more and more uh, work with green stuff is you start finding it everywhere. I don't know about you guys. I find that sometimes I'm out and about and I'm looking down at my, my fingernails and I say, there's some green stuff stuck to my finger. Oh, God, have I been walking around for the last two hours with that? <laughs> No, that's great. No, I, 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 it's kind of like dog hair. You find green exactly. stuff or a millipot. It's, I don't know if you guys have dogs. I've got dog hair everywhere. Um, cool. I've got nothing else I wanted to ask you guys because this has been pretty immersive and um, I've, I've taken a lot and I've got um, some new inspiration and um, I can't wait. And like Google search as well. I can't stress enough, you know, Google image searching and getting inspiration on Instagram, on Pinterest, um, maybe that's one other idea is, you know, as you start sourcing ideas, save those pictures, set up a Pinterest board, um, collect all those pictures. And, um, I find that I go back to those pictures over time. So I might not, I see something I'm like, ah, oh, that will be useful sometime. I don't know when, but I'll save it and then I'll come back to it. And then I can kind of bring it to life down the track. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it, maybe it's not for a project that you think you're going to be doing anytime soon. It could just be that's cool. You put it in a folder of cool things and who knows. I love that. Ricky, take us home. Is there any shout outs, any people you want to recommend? If people go and talk to you more, where can they find you? Uh, so I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Uh, on Twitter, you'll find me fanboying. If I find something I love, I will share it. Uh, it'll be in a list of other things I've loved that week. Um, and you'll find me there i i live on twitter basically if i'm at work i probably shouldn't be on it but i'm somewhere around there um but i love people's projects and all i'd say is when someone does something you love don't be afraid to ask questions because hobbyists love to talk about what they've done you might be afraid to ask where the arm come but if you ask the question they're gonna tell you because they spent hours on it they love that model that much that you ask them to talk about their stuff it's quite hard to i'll go them. one further i'll go i'll go one further and say tell people you like their stuff just don't hit the thumbnail and say i love it comment comment and say why you like it that is so rewarding and uh, i need to do that more often i do it i do it on twitter i need to do it more um but i imagine those comment that commentary goes a long way yeah jp if one people want to talk to you they want to learn more about your stuff uh any yeah. shout outs that you want to make I have nothing to promote in particular, but no, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or all three, all three, um, under yeah, JP Miniatures. <laughs> Come and have a look. And at I will the... put them. I'll put them both in the channel description. Thank you very much. Fantastic. All right. Well, we've kind of wrapped up. It's been an absolute pleasure, JP, Ricky. Thank you both very much. Uh, this has been almost two hours of absolute kit bashing, converting goodness. Uh, thank you, chat, for hanging out with us. Um, it's a different time zone for me, so uh, I get to have my whole day. You guys get to go to bed. But I, uh, I'm i actually quite fortunate that it's my morning because I now can take your ideas and go convert. While if you guys are in the UK and you've watched this, you're all inspired at 1 o'clock in the morning and uh, good luck going to bed before work because I have a public holiday. You don't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> cheers ricky jp it's an absolute pleasure i'm going to close out the show but uh thank you folks if you've enjoyed this uh make sure to like uh thanks both thanks cheers g'day i hope you enjoyed that video and you're left with some new ideas one of the biggest ways you can contribute to aos coach is by liking the video you just watched and leaving a comment in the comment section 
This lets YouTube know this is a good video and it should recommend it to other hobbyists. If you'd also like to support the channel even further like these bloody legends, go check out AOS Coach on Patreon. Otherwise, don't forget your triumph.